Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Women Extraordinary Stories, a podcast by Women's Heart Engaging Network. This is where you'll hear incredible stories from women of all different backgrounds and walks of life. We hope that these stories touch you and remind you that even in the most difficult seasons of life, there is still hope. So take a moment, settle in, and get ready to hear one extraordinary story. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to have Sandra Gilliland here to speak with us about anxiety in this time. I know I can use some of the information that she'll be sharing today um, to get to know her a little bit more. She's been a counselor for 17 years. She lives in Louisiana with her husband and her two sons. Her husband, Jamie, is a college minister, and she has two sons, uh, Thomas, age 10, and Micah, age 7. So, Sandra, can you tell us more about your long-term desire to become a counselor? Yeah, I sure can. I am one of those rare people that kind of, as a kid, said, this is what I want to be when I grow up, and I never um, really detoured from that. When I, um, I can remember being a second grader and sitting on the playground underneath the bunkie bars and my friends would come and line up and come and ask me for my advice or suggestions on whatever they may be going through. And um, I think a teacher said, you know, you would be a great therapist. And I said, okay. And that was it. And I went and got my undergraduate degree in psychology and my master's in marriage and family counseling. And then my PhD in psychology and counseling and never changed majors, never um, really switched courses. That's always, I knew I wanted to be able to step into people's lives at that point of crisis and offer them some support and help and hope. And um, God's just blessed me as he has shifted that desire. Now I also teach as well, but um, still continue to work in private practice as a therapist. Well, it's really encouraging hearing that you've had this desire to help people for so long. In your 20 year journey to re- achieve that dream, There were some real milestones along the way that have brought you to be the counselor you are today with the convictions you have. One of those was actually going to counseling yourself. Can you tell us about that experience and what you learned that has become foundational to how you live today? Yeah, absolutely. When I um, started my master's work in counseling at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, they strongly encourage their students to go through counseling themselves. Um, And that's kind of just a good opportunity for us as students who will someday become counselors to know what it's like to be on the other side of um, that experience, to fill out that paperwork and to go up to a stranger and talk about your problems. It's such an intimidating prospect. And so they really encourage all of their students to go through that. Um, But in my case, I was strongly encouraged to do so. I think my professors realized I had some unresolved issues that I really didn't see in myself at that time. And so very much feeling pressure to do so, I went ahead and um, approached one of the PhD students about starting counseling and began my counseling journey. Um, Originally, they told us to try to go for at least six weeks to kind of get that experience. And I ended up staying in counseling for almost a year. Um, And it really it really was one of those life-changing experiences for me that I, I just don't think I would be who I am today had I not gone through that counseling process. Thanks so much for sharing about that. I think it's really encouraging to hear. What was something in the process of you being with a counselor that has changed the way you thought? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that um, my counselor really challenged me on was the way that I thought about myself. And prior to starting counseling, I don't think I realized um, what a negative view of myself that I really had. And my counselor was just amazing at asking me. She would regularly ask me this question. I'd say, this is what I think or this is what I feel. And she would come back to me and say, but is that true? Sandy, is that true? 
And I would really be challenged to kind of dig deeper. And oftentimes what I found out, my views of self weren't true. They were based on someone else's opinion or they were based on this negative kind of distorted view of myself. I really had um, over my course of development um, come to believe very poorly of myself and really was trying hard um, to prove to people that I was smart or that I was good or that I was worthwhile. And so I was very much overcompensating and, and could be very forceful in my personality as a result of that. And, and really it was this deep seated insecurity that people were going to realize I just had this feeling I wasn't good enough. I wasn't enough. And my therapist really challenged those and encouraged me again and again to ask that question, is that really true? And what evidence do you have to support that? And, and really forced me to look deep um, and begin challenging some of those negative views of myself that I'd held on to for a long time. Uh, thanks so much for sharing some of your journey. I know we're going to hear more about how to change the way we think as we jump into today's topic, being still when my mind is racing. There are a lot of things in life that can cause our minds to race and certainly in our present reality of living in a pandemic has got to the top of the list of many people today. You have said that anxiety disorders are the most common mental health illness in the U.S., impacting close to one out of five Americans. However, if we include the number of people who report feeling stressed, overwhelmed, or worried, those numbers are much higher. Can you give us your perspective on anxiety and how we should think about it? Is it all bad? You know, thinking about anxiety, especially right now, as we're going through this global pandemic, I, I, I can't imagine anyone coming up to me and saying, oh, I have no anxiety. I'm not overwhelmed at all. I think we all have some degree of that. And the thing about anxiety is a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of, I heard someone recently say anxiety is when concern and care have gotten out of control. We should be concerned. We have you know, loved ones who are um, in isolation. We have people around the world who are suffering, many, many people who've experienced loss. And we should, be care we should care, we should have concern for those individuals. But sometimes that care and concern um, is so intense and so extreme that it creates this unbearable anxiety and to the point that we can't be still, we can't focus on anything else. And that's when it becomes problematic. And so, you know, having a little bit of anxiety is normal and, and, and adaptive. We're designed um, whenever we perceive a threat to have what sometimes is called that fight or flight response. And it's really that sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, part of the brain that's responding to this perception of threat. And we need that perception of threat to help us run away in times of danger. If there's a bear coming at us, we need a quick response. We need to be anxious and not apathetic in that moment to respond appropriately. But whenever we're consumed with that anxiety, whenever we're constantly in that heightened sense of arousal, that constant fight or flight mentality, it becomes really hard to function. It becomes hard to have intimate relationships. It becomes really hard to worship or be still or read our Bibles or, or even just be able to enjoy time with family because we're always kind of on edge about whatever threat may or may not be coming. And so it becomes really important for us to be able to control that anxiety, to be able to calm down, to be able to take a deep breath and really be able to be still um, in the midst of that perceived threat. Well, that was really interesting. And I know that for me, sometimes anxious thoughts, when I get onto a pattern of it, can feel really normal. How can I see or anyone else see when it's an unhealthy pattern? 
Yeah, one of the things that we listen for in counseling sessions is what we call cognitive distortions. And I've shared some of those with you guys um, on this slide. And really, they can range from things like catastrophizing, where something small happens, and boy, I've convinced myself that the worst thing possible is the outcome. You know, my husband's 20 minutes late, and so I've already gone through, oh my gosh, this is the end, and he must be heard, and, and we just go kind of this worst case scenario. But there's several different types of distortions. You know, sometimes we get caught up in really rigid patterns of thinking, and so we default to these distortions and Another example of that is these should statements. And we've just, we're, we can become consumed with, well, you know, what I should be doing is getting up every day and exercising. And I really should be um, talking to my mom three times a week and I should be doing this. And so what happens is we're constantly guilt laden as a result of these negative um, kind of perceptions of self and these distortions. And we become so trained that we go back to those unhealthy um, distortions again and again and again, and, and it really begins to limit our kind of scope um, and our viewpoint of what's really going on. We become very rigid very quickly sometimes in those thinking patterns. Mm. So when we are rigid in those thinking patterns, what are the steps or what is a way that we can get out and and kind of see the truth again or be still in the moment? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the people that I really like, um, the Gottman Institute has put out some really fantastic information about dealing with difficult emotions. And I've shared that with you guys as well. They have a lot of fantastic resources um, for people to go to, but I really like this. They have um, what they call the six steps to mindfully dealing with difficult emotion. Intuitively, our instinct, whenever something is difficult, Whenever an emotion, um, I've gotten to the habit of saying having big feelings, and I'm having really big feelings, often my instinct is to try to minimize that, to try to push it away, to try to deny that feeling. And what I love about this um, approach from the Gottman Institute is they begin with saying, you know, you have to, the first step that they identify is to turn toward your emotion with acceptance. And there's something incredibly powerful about just being able to say, this is how I feel right now. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling lonely. Whatever that feeling is, without judgment and without even trying to do anything about it, just turning toward it with acceptance, realizing that's how I'm feeling. And then the second one, sometimes I can't initially come up with the label. And so sometimes the initial step may just be, Gosh, I'm having a big feeling right now. And then giving myself kind of that internal space to identify that, to label it. Oh gosh, this is anxiety or this is rejection or this is fear or whatever that feeling is. And then being able to accept it. This is where I'm at in this moment. But at the same time that I'm, I'm accepting that that's my state, the fourth step in Gottman's um, steps here is to realize that it's impermanent. And what that means is that this is not how I'm going to feel forever. And so I don't need to make huge life-altering choices or decisions based on this emotion because this emotion is temporary. I can have lots of emotions at one time. I can have about the same circumstance, you know, with um, people currently being in their homes, I've heard a lot of people say, I feel so restless and stir crazy, but then I'm also so thankful for this extra time with my family. I feel so scared, but at the same time, I feel like I've had a chance to reprioritize my goals. So again, we can realize that that one emotional state that may feel overwhelming is not permanent. So the next part of that, um, the steps for uh, the Gottman Institute puts out is to really ask myself, uh, what triggered this for me? 
right? And also the last step then is to let go of my need to control that emotion. Um, And just being able to sometimes sit in my feelings and being able to feel my feelings is incredibly powerful. And it takes away that um, unnecessary need to deny my feelings or to pretend they're not there, but really to be able to sit in that place and observe that those that's my current emotional state. Well, that was really good to hear. I like those six steps a lot and I'll definitely be using some of those in the future. Um, well, one thing that stuck out to me was how being able to accept our emotions and what we're feeling because sometimes I'll just want to change when I have this big emotion, like, oh, I want to be happy right now or something. Um, But also, yeah, um, also how that affects self-identity because sometimes I can just feel weak and then I'll just say, oh, I'm weak or or put a negative emotion on myself. So how can these six steps affect our self-identity? Yeah, that's such a great question. What happens is whenever I have this big feeling, I then begin to use it to label myself. And when that's not necessarily a fair label, right, just because I'm experiencing this emotion doesn't necessarily mean that that I don't care about people or that I'm, you know, if I'm feeling angry right now, that doesn't mean that I love my husband any less. That means I'm having this emotion. And so being able to kind of pull apart those emotional feelings versus that thinking and that reasoning part of the brain. Um, But in order to do that, in order to get to that kind of logical place, we have to get that emotional center of our brain, that amygdala, that part of that limbic system that controls that fight or flight syndrome um, response that we talked about before. We have to get that to kind of go back down to neutral and calm down before um, that reasoning, that logical, that prefrontal cortex part of the brain is going to be able to then fire. Uh, Whenever we are anxious and overwhelmed, we're not creative. Um, because we're in that survival mode. So when we can accept our feelings and begin to practice that mindfulness and being still, we're able to really challenge our thinking. And and in doing so, we're able to make some um, shifts in our perspective of self and and maybe even our circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it seems like a lot of stuff happens in our brains when all these things happen. So how can our brains or is our brains even able to replace one thought pattern with another? Yeah, this is probably the thing I'm most excited to share with people because it's really relatively new research. And I I shared with you guys this concept of the BDNF. And and when we talk about that, this is really talking about this concept of neuroplasticity. And so neuroplasticity refers to our brain's adaptive capacity to shift in the way that it works and operates. And when it comes to our thinking patterns, even when I was an undergraduate um, at Northern Arizona University, I remember being taught that we could train people to have new thinking, but we couldn't necessarily replace the old patterns of thinking. And so we've learned that um, long before we have the ability to record memories, so early in our development, our sense of self-worth is already being established. And that's a little concerning, right? So prior to three or four years of age, your sense of self-identity is already largely ingrained in your brain. And so for many years, researchers believed that while I could train you to have a new thought, that old negative pattern probably wasn't going to go away. So you would probably have the old thought, but then be able to have a new thought and make choices and decisions based on our new thinking, not our old thinking. But there was kind of this understanding that your old thinking was always going to be there. 
So deep down, I'm always going to feel like a failure, even though I've now trained myself to say, but I'm not really a failure. I'm actually a worthwhile, capable person. But what this new research is showing us that the brain is actually far more plastic, which means flexible in this language. It's far more flexible and adaptive than we ever considered. And so what happens is when our brain is feeling safe, and that's where this um, BDNF comes in, in play, right? When we're getting enough sleep, when we're taking deep breaths and getting enough oxygenation to the brain, when we have proper nutrition, um, our brain remains very plastic. And so what happens is when I begin having these new thoughts, consistently reinforcing this new pattern of thinking, I actually watch that old pattern of thinking go away. And that's remarkable. It means we can actually heal and change those deep wounded parts of our thinking. We can actually become new. And that is really a message of hope that I'm excited to share with people. That's really cool. Uh, Would you say that you experienced this brain plasticity when you went through counseling and developed a new and more positive self-identity? I would say, yeah, it definitely came full circle for me. I think that that was the time um, that I really began to have to challenge those patterns of thinking that somebody really said, but is that true? Is that true? And that was the question that I needed someone to ask me because I was making a lot of quick assumptions and beliefs about myself that frankly weren't true. And in order for me to change that, I had to have somebody say, wait a second, maybe this negative belief that you've held about yourself isn't true. And then just as exciting is the idea that maybe I can change it. Maybe I don't have to have this old belief about myself anymore. And if there's one message I would want women to take away from is even if your whole life you've believed you weren't good enough, that you weren't special or that there was something wrong with you, that deep down that somehow you're just a phony putting on a mask and fooling everybody, but really and truly there's something wrong with you that nobody can see. I would say is that true though? Is there any evidence to support that? Or is that just maybe a really old destructive pattern of thinking that you've bought into for a really long time? And can we maybe introduce a new pattern of thinking that you can then um, begin to see the truth of that, the truth of who you are and how special you are and how important you are and how capable you are that I can provide some evidence for, unlike those old negative distortions. Well, thank you for sharing your story and what you've um, experience from your life. And you were talking about how we can replace lies that we're believing with truth. Uh, where can we get the truth? Where do you find your truth? Yeah, thank you for that question. I'm so excited to share. You know, I one of the quotes that I love from Viktor Frankl is he proposes this um, equation where he says D equals S minus M. And I like to challenge my students to try to guess what that might be. And, and it's interesting to hear what they, they come up with. But um, ultimately, the D in his... Now, Viktor Frankl, if you're not familiar with him, he was a Holocaust survivor. And he shares that when he watched people suffer, he noticed that those who were able to find meaning, um, they were the ones that survived. And those who had no hope were the ones who more quickly um, passed away in that concentration camp. And so the D equals despair. And the, the S equals suffering and the M equals meaning. And so the idea here is that whenever we suffer without meaning, without purpose, then we fall into despair. And I think for me, that meaning that has helped my times of difficulty have purpose is um, my relationship with Christ. You know, whenever my counselor would ask me, how do you know if that's true? I would 
consistently go back to, because this is what the Bible teaches me is true. This is what I know is true. And, and so I've, I've shared with you, um, this list of um, scriptures that replace some of that, you know, when I feel like I'm invisible, I can lean on God's word to tell me that the truth is I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. And so for someone um, who's struggling to find who are you, I think that we begin to understand who I am when we really understand who created us and what we were made for. And so I would encourage um, all of the women listening to really ask yourself that question is, do I know who I am? And do I know why I was created? And if you don't, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and that he's the one that created you and that he wants you to have a relationship with him. You know, when I was nine years old, um, my parents had um, divorced when I was very little. They were basically teenagers when they had my sister and I. And so life was chaotic as they were figuring out how to be grown ups and parents and and all of those things. And and I just remember when I was nine years old, a man came to our church and he said, if you want to have a relationship with God, I want you to know this. He said that God loves you just as you are and that he wants a relationship with you. And he will be your perfect father who will never let you down and he'll never leave you. And he'll never ask you to be something you're not because he loves you just as you are. And for my nine-year-old heart, those were the words that I needed to hear. I needed to know that I was loved and I was special and I was wanted. And he promised me that if I asked God into my heart that day, that he would never leave me. And he has been so faithful to that. There have been times of trials and difficulties and through all of it, God has been my rock. He's been my consistent, consistent person in my life when everybody else seemed to fade away. And so I'm so thankful for that. And I just so much want to share that with the women listening today, that if you don't know who you are, if I was to ask you to list a list of statements of I am what, if you feel blank in that, or you feel discouraged in those answers, that Christ has given you a new name. And he says that the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And, and that's where I put my faith and that's where I put my trust and, and um, the hope that we have a bright future um, as a result of a God that loves us very much. Uh, well, thank you, Sandra, for what you shared. I know it's touched my heart and I know it will touch many other women's hearts. And I was just wondering if there was anything else on your heart that you would like to say. No, I really do appreciate the time with you guys today. I'd love to just um, pray with you. And um, I ask that women joining us today will pray as well. And I want to really pray for two things. I want to pray for those women who are just really struggling with their anxiety or their sense of self. And But also I want to offer a prayer for those who may, maybe they don't have a relationship with, with Christ. And, and maybe this is the day that they're ready to make that um, commitment to become a Christian and to really let go of that old life and embrace this new relationship with Jesus. And so um, if you don't mind, I'd like to, to lead us in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much um, for the opportunity to come together and to share with these women from around the world. There's something amazing whenever women come together. And um, I just pray that this time is a time that brings you glory and honor. Father, I thank you that, Lord, that you've created us to be able to let go of the past. Father, that we don't have to hold the same old negative beliefs about ourselves, but that we can truly change the way that we think. But Father, I, I know that none of that means anything if we don't put our truth and our trust in you, Father. So I pray for 
first for those women, Lord, who maybe they're, they are Christians, they've been Christians for a while or are new Christians and are just really struggling with anxiety or struggling with who they are or how they see themselves or old negative beliefs. And I pray that today's message will be one of encouragement, that they can make a change. They don't have to think the way they've always thought. They don't have to live in fear and anxiety, but whether they can accept that they have emotions and those emotions are God-given, but those emotions don't define them as a person. Just because they're having anxiety in the morning, Lord, doesn't mean that they need to be anxious the rest of the day, that they can accept those moments and realize what is it that, that brought that about? What is it that triggered that, Father? I pray that they will experience freedom in that like they've never experienced before. And Lord, I also ask today for that for that woman who's listening, Lord, who's maybe never made a profession of faith. Father, they're feeling that stirring in their heart, even now, Lord, that they know more than anything, Father, more than anything else, they need to surrender their life to you. Father, for that woman, I pray that she will pray with me, Lord, that she will simply pray, Father God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I've been living my life without you, and I've been trying to let the world tell me who I am. So, Father, I ask today that you come into my heart, Father, that you forgive me of my sins and that you become the Lord of my life. Father, I confess you as the Lord and Savior of my life, and I ask now that you make me new, that you change the way I think about myself. And instead of letting the world define me, Father, I let you become the one that defines me, that I am yours and that you are my God. Father, for the women out there who are praying that prayer for the first time, I pray that they will know that in this moment they have been made new, that they are loved, and that, Father, you are a God that sees us and knows us and cares about us intimately. We give you praise in all of these things, for you are so worthy. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Sandra, and I know you've been such a blessing to me and to so many others, and I pray blessings for you and your family and for this time that all of us will experience this stillness that uh, Jesus offers and I thank you wow what an incredible story thank you for joining us and we truly hope that you were touched by the words you heard here today If you have any questions or would simply like to connect with us, go to our website at www.whenetwork.ca. Also, make sure to give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at WhenCanada, and check out our YouTube at Women's Heart Engaging Network. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next one.